Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's newest podcast, Marketing Vanguard. We're so excited to bring you the next evolution of CMO Moves by bringing you insightful content from our marketing community. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, the ripples it set forth, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. In addition, we'll ask each guest to share the names of people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for whom we should interview next. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I'm Jenny Rooney. I'm the Chief Experience Officer at Adweek, and I'm thrilled to be here today with Jessica Kogan. Jessica is the Chief Growth and Experience Officer at Vintage Wine Estates. Jessica, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny, my fellow experience person. I know. I'm excited about that. We're going to have to get into that a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. But listen, I'm so excited to have you here Um you know, I want to just kind of flag a few of the things that you've done in your career, but then I want you to flesh that out for us um, and for the listeners. But, you know, you've worked for brands like Donna Karen, Helen Knowlton, Razorfish, Elizabeth Arden, Urban Decay, Giorgio Armani. Um, so you're no stranger to powerful brands and and honestly sort of um, the power that those brands can have um, in many, many different ways. Um it looks like, you know, you co-founded, launched digital native company, Cameron Hughes Wine. Yeah. And I want to learn what that means to be yeah. a digital native company in the wine space. Um, yeah. You know, and then obviously, um, you know, what you're doing now at Vintage Wine Estates, I would love for you to share a little bit about that uh, with our guests. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And um, maybe afterwards we'll have a drink. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about, you know, tell tell me a little bit about your history and, um, you know, what kind of brought you to this place that you're in at the moment? Sure. So, I mean, uh, being that you guys are out of New York, um, I started my career in New York City. I went to NYU and was lucky enough to get an internship at this new fashion house that nobody knew about called Donna Karen. She had just left Anne Klein and um, had just received some funding to start her company and was really in the right place at the right time. I actually had wanted to go into journalism, um, but ended up just really loving everything that was going on in Donna's universe, writing press releases, doing fashion shows, learning about the power of brand as it grows, 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 grows really fast, um, and the opportunities that that brings to you. Uh, after um, the Demi Moore and Bruce Willis campaign, I don't know if you can. If, Why don't you remind everybody about that? I know. 
thrown it back far, but it was, um, that was really, that was like kind of the, the, the high, high moment of Donna Karen. And I decided at that moment that I really wanted to learn how to revitalize brands. I don't know why it just became kind of like a thing I was interested in, um, and ended up, uh, working with Dr. Scholl's exercise sandals and Elizabeth Arden and helping kind of to re- recuperate their brands or, 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 you know, just resuscitate them from the death of the seventies, you know, the, the horse hair cream of Elizabeth Arden the, that your mom used yeah. and the exercise sandals from the seventies that you actually used for orthopedic reasons. And, <laughs> um, I was through working in fashion, I was able to get Elizabeth Arden, um, to the first, uh, shows at Bryant Park. Um, which was like an amazing moment for Elizabeth Arden and um, Amber Valletta became the face. And then Dr. Scholl's, we just put on the runway. And that's when like that whole new buck trend happened. It was super fun. Um, but then I really got interested in um, in technology and the internet and digital. And uh, I really pivoted more into like trying to learn about that and ended up going to Hill and Alton. Um, which was founding a dot-com group (laughs) and throwing it so far back. Um, But it was, um, nobody really knew what it was. Uh, So they found kind of like the youngest MD and they're like, you do consumer products, right? You do, you're like in your late 20s, like you know what to do, right? It's the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds so, so, so familiar to what we're going through right now. Um, Right? It, It was Hilarious. And at the same time, it was the opportunity. And so I just really fell in love with it and um, launched a couple of uh, big, big dot coms that unfortunately did not um, see the light of day. Boo.com was one of them, which was a global Mm -hmm. sportswear e-tailer and did some some mainstays, vitamin shop, that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and I was slightly involved in pets.com, but not, not really. I mean, it was, I mean, it was anything goes during that time. Remember Cosmo? Yeah. Um, uh, we were looking at possibly doing work with them, but in any case, after Boo, I had decided, you know what? I really want to understand how they do this. How do they, how they build these sites? Because I'm fascinated by it and I, the next time I do the marketing behind it, like I actually want the site to succeed. And so ended up going to Razorfish where um, it was just an incredible time in the universe. I mean, Razorfish was working with McKinsey doing McKinsey's website. You know, it was like a, a different time. Uh, we did Schwab.com. Well, we, we built Schwab.com. This Jeff, kind of like, Jeff Dotches founded Razor. Oh, Jeff Dotches and Craig. And Craig, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and great people. Like, it was just yeah. a really... It was I, ahead I, of time. I, I covered interactive agencies back then. So I remember... So and, you, all the, and all the dot-coms. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember it well. You remember, I mean, <laughs> that was quite a time. It was for somebody, for, for, for young people, it was such an amazing opportunity to get inside the boardroom, mm-hmm. like in a way that we could never have done in, mm-hmm. in previous decades and yeah. um, really gave us visibility in a way that I don't think we even understood. And as you know, with the antics with Jeff and Craig, like, you know, we were young, we were brash, and 
um, we were just kind of making fun of the fact that the world didn't really understand it. But the truth is, we really didn't even understand it. We were doing the best we could. Um, But ended up uh, helping launch Schwab.com, which was super fun as a client partner. But my really, I did, I ran their fashion business, which was just stationary sites. But my, the project I really loved was with the Southern Poverty Law Center, where we built out this um, site called tolerance.org, which still lives today, won Mm -hmm. all kinds of awards, but um, really a rubric for teachers across America, how to teach tolerance in the classroom, which is something that is quite relevant today. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. um, So ended up doing that. And then decided uh, to make a life change and move to San Francisco. And, um, you know, what do you do when you're in San Francisco? You do wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. And oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's like kind of the, that's, that's been my path. I started the this wine company uh, with my partner, Cameron Hughes, and uh, he knew everything about wine. I knew everything about digital. We came together and we built out a, a really cool wine company called Cameron Hughes Wine, uh, very focused on um, just, you know, e-com, um, like the first days of e- true e-com for, the, for adult beverage. And the company sold in 2017 to Vintage Wine States. Mm, got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, what a journey and what a story. And I love it because... Because you and I must have crossed paths at some point. There's yeah. so many things we have in common. I mean, Schwab.com and Pets.com and <laughs> I remember Boo.com. And, um, you know, I was going on talk shows having to talk about the Super Bowl ads that oh, .coms yeah. were putting out, um, <laughs> you know, and um, there were parties every single night in New York City because because yeah. it was either the industry standard or DoubleClick and yep. they were just throwing parties. And I mean, it was a joyous time, but to your point, it was, it was, I love what you said about it. It was a time for young people to get inside the boardroom and get visibility in ways they hadn't previously. Yeah. Really. That's what it truly felt like. For real. But they were learning as they were going to your point too. Like everybody was like, not quite sure how this all works, but we're, <laughs> we're just going to hold hands and go. And um, so it's just interesting. And I, um, listen, I don't want to, date myself, but it's fun to be able to connect with people who were there during that time because it was, it was such a moment. Um, it really was. And I think to have come through that, you know, as you did and to now be here where we all are, um, however many years later and, um, decades later and thinking about, you know, how you, how you build brand and how you obviously capitalize and, and harness all the technology that that exists now today for brands to really connect and sell and engage mm-hmm. and create relationships with. Um, that's cool. So we're going to get into that in a minute. And obviously wine is such a, at the end of the day, and you tell me, but wine is such a human centric um, product, right? I mean, it's, it's about connecting and relationships and people and spending time together, et cetera. So mm-hmm. um, I want to get into that in a minute, but Tell me a little bit more about yourself um, that's not on your LinkedIn profile. You know, now that you've sort of shared your your bio and your work story, uh, what else should we know about you and just something that defines you that wouldn't mm. be readily apparent? Mm. Well, uh, 
I, I'm sure if you were looking at me with all of my lines, you would see that I've had children. <laughs> As have I. Yes. I have two beautiful teenage daughters. Um, I am super into gardening. I can't even believe it because I'm like a cement kid, you know, having lived in the city for many, many years, but I just love it. And I really am legitimately, passionately in love with digital. Mm. Like, very lucky that I fell into it and so, so love it beyond what e- the, my area of expertise of e-commerce, but just the democratization of information is to me just, it is, it's, it's changing the world. Some people say for the work, you know, not for the better, but I, mm-hmm. I think that um, ultimately it will be for the better. And so it's been a lot of time just, you know, writing and thinking about that. Okay. But so there's, that can be, digital can be defined in so many different ways. So mm-hmm. for purposes of your, this conversation, how are you defining it? Um, uh, to me, it's any information that you're receiving through a screen that is not your television. I love that. <laughs> to get my head around that. Um, and, and sometimes it can be your television, but, but primarily, um, and, and I'll add into that in a piece of engagement in there. So mm-hmm. engaged information. So interactive information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, before I, we get into how you're using it, um, can you just now tell us a little bit about Vintage Wine Estates? Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I was super lucky, Jenny, because um, Cameron Hughes Wine, when we started the company, you know, in, in the wine, in the adult beverage industry, the internet was just like, are you insane? Are you crazy? Like, no way, no how, because of the three-tier system. Um, and uh, it was just kind of like, people weren't into it. But of course, we changed their minds and things change. And um, the Supreme Court ruled um, in favor for suppliers to sell direct to states, which kind of changed everything in 2005. But what had happened with Camry Swine is that, you know, we grew, 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 and uh, we really needed a partner to take us to where we wanted to go. And Vintage Wine Estates acquired us in 2017. And as a founder, I'm like, oh, you know, like, what does that mean? What, what's going to happen? Like, oh, I've been doing this for like, you know, the last 10 years. This is like my life. It's my baby. And um, really, um, they provided this incredible um like I would say like home of incubation um, that eventually um, went public. They, the company went public uh, in 2021. And I never imagined in my life that I would be part of a public event. And so like I was going into it like super sad because I'm like, I'm a founder. I don't want my company to be purchased. Yeah. At the same time, I see the opportunity. Um, and it's really funny in this kind of universe that I never even – thought about the company going public and to participate in such an event, um, just like to see it and be part of it. Um, and it was incredible. That's great. So, so vintage wine estates, it itself is, it, it's sort of the, 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 the corporate brand over many different, um, consumer facing. Yeah. It's kind of like, so talk about that. Yeah. It's kind of like Pernod Ricard or Mm -hmm. Diageo or Constellation. It's, it's a holding company, um, that owns, you know, quite a few, uh, family estates. Uh, so 13 at the moment, some 
white label brands, some um, well-known national brands, and does a lot of production and has a very large direct-to-consumer portfolio, which was really my responsibility. Got it. So obviously just looking, you know, it's um, Kundi Estates, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And, yes. Um, yeah, Firesteed. So there's a lot. Layer Cake. I mean, these are all um, th- these are all obviously um, very well known and and um, and consumer facing brands. Um, so your remit now is is um, let's talk about your title. Um, yeah, your growth and experience. So you know how how do you oversee and what is your your um, your remit for all of and that? And Jenny, I want you to tell me your, the, the, I will. your title too. Okay, because let's compare um, because. <laughs> They, <laughs> the team, I think, in Vintage, we, the executive team, we, they struggled a bit with the title because prim- before, um, prior to being chief uh, growth and experience officer, I was their CMO and their chief digital officer. And I felt that the CMO title did not reflect the work that I was actually really doing. And I felt the digital title, while it meant something to me, to the corporate world, it means um, like it still meant hardware and not software development. And so um, in rethinking how to present the type of work I do and really where Vintage Wine Estates wants to position itself within the industry is to kind of be a leader in, uh, in utilizing digital technology to create better experiences for customers. And that's not just external, it's internal too. Yep. And so that's really where the experience piece comes from. It's kind of you are working across SBUs, you're working across um, channels, you're working with those leaders, and you're really helping them utilize digital in the most in the best way to connect with their, you know, with their customers, whether it be a vendor or a customer, you know, a customer buying at a retail store. So it's, you know, what I'm hearing is your d- digital is a means to an end. The end is the experience. And so that's what your title Absolutely. really, really sums up. Abso- absolutely. And the experience when, and the thing is, I talk so much about digital, but it really is, I, I have this, I really try and recenter the conversation around digital does not exist without the physical and physical at the moment really doesn't exist without the digital. Mm. The two together are better. Mm-hmm. They truly are. And that's where experience, the experience part of the title comes from, which is not just facilitating information through digital, but it's also connecting customers to the offline world, like to events. You know, you learn about it digitally and you send the customer to a physical event. And so it's kind of that that connection between the two. Well, um, you know, this is so interesting because when I now when I think about it and listen, there's so much um, talk about titles these days, you know, and, um, debate about titles, especially as it relates to anybody who's C-level who owns the marketing responsibility in any given company. But I've never thought about it like this before, but you know, when you say chief marketing officer or chief digital officer, it's like you're celebrating the tactic or you're celebrating the, the how, Mm -hmm. but when you, when you think about the chief experience or even chief growth officer title, you're celebrating or you're focusing on the outcome. 
right? So it's like, it's not, again, it's not the means to an end, it's the end in and of itself. So chief growth officer is focusing on what you're, what you are working to create. Likewise with chief experience officer, you know, the experience is what you are, are working to, um, to create for your customers, mm-hmm. right? And so it's funny because, so for me, my title is chief experience officer and I, um, I, you know, it's funny, I, I feel like I bring, um, I think like a marketer, meaning I bring a user first lens to everything we do by user. I mean, our community, I mean, the entire sort of world of marketers who exist, who consume ad week, go to ad week events, want to engage with us through our different platforms and, and, and um, programs. They're the ones who everybody, you know, everything we do has to be with that North star guiding us. And so that's where I think I come in and I'm able to look across all the ways, all of our touch points, quite frankly, mm-hmm. and make sure there's consistency and there's value that mm-hmm. we're delivering in the experience that everybody garners mm-hmm. when they engage with an ad week um, product, service, content, et cetera. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of alignment too with what you're doing. And obviously what we're doing is also virtual, digital, and and in real in real in real life as well with events and things because like that. Because that so. experience online should feel very ad week. It should feel very like as as much time and thought you put into your event offline, that time and thought should be put on online. And it's it's, it's really I, I I would agree I wholeheartedly agree with you with the CMO, CDO. It it becomes very it puts you a box in my mind. It like it's a little bit of a box, and it's mm-hmm. more of like um, uh, this is what we're going to say. And I think today, what really matters most as a marketer like you is the experience a customer is having with you, the way they are engaging with you, the way they are feeling you, because. Loyalty is very hard to get these to to garner these days. hundred percent. So that's where I think experience is kind of the the key that will unlock that future for marketers. Yep. So let's talk now a little bit about, and I love that, and and I'm so glad that we were able to to connect on that. Um, you know, you're now you're in a leadership role. You're part mm-hmm. of the C-suite. You know, it's this is sort of it's 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 your game to lose for lack of a better way to describe it, but that's a great setup to my next question, which is all around sort of how you, how you are as a leader and what defines your leadership and your vision. And I love this metaphor of being on a soccer field just because selfishly that's the, that's the sport that I played um, growing up and my daughter now plays. And I just, I just have such an affinity for it. Um, but tell me, you know, if you were to envision yourself on a soccer field, um, what, what, where are you playing and why? Are you at the front of the f- field, you know, in the striker position trying to mm-hmm. score those goals? Are you at the midfield line trying to sort of basically be the connective tissue between, you know, the front line and the back? Or are you in the defensive line um, I, trying to protect a goal at all costs? I would say I'm an attacking mid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. So definite midfielder, um, because definite um I like in my real life, in my real world, as I had told you, I I actually physically played a sweeper, but in the way I lead, the way I like the way I like to think, and I played center in lacrosse, um, forward, a center forward. So I I'm very I believe very strongly that um it is very important to protect um 
but have complete visibility to the field and to always be um, not to be the connector. Um, and, and that's really my leadership style. It has always been um, about allowing uh, individuals to develop and grow and also see the opportunities and, and feed the balls to them. Um, mm. Because I, as, as we discussed earlier, having had the visibility into the, the boardroom at a very young age, it is very important that we who are at this in the C-suite do everything that we can to provide the opportunities for this next generation to swing forward. And um, I, that's really how I see it. You know, it's just to develop and nurture talent for people who are going to take over what I do. I love that. Um, and again, selfishly and a little bit of a, a sort of promotional plug, but I feel very strongly about it. Um, we at Adweek have launched this marketing Vanguard platform. So certainly it's this podcast, but it's also so much more. We're going to convene people under this banner and sort of pointedly bring marketing leaders together um, to talk about the decisions and choices they're making daily that are really sort of changing and shaping the industry. But as part of the fabric of it or part, part of the mission of it is, you know, CMOs do a really good job of convening amongst themselves. And I think there's a really important time and place and space for that. We're going to create that, but we're also going to create opportunities for um, for when CMOs are convening, we're going to ask them to bring a plus one rising star from their team. Bring them literally into the room, because I think to your point, we need to actually start not just talking about them, but like exposing and providing access for yeah. honestly, the people who are going to be marketing leaders t- tomorrow and are, are very much a core part of decision making that CMOs and chief growth officers, chief experience officers, you know, insert title, like need. I mean, it's it's such yeah. a flywheel. And so um, I love that. I love that passion that you have and and, and I share it. So um, I mean, it's good stuff. It's, I mean, since you have been covering digital for a long time, you know, <laughs> you know that it it's it's not so like as a marketer, it's not so easy to learn it in a vacuum and it is not. And it is definitely not easy to learn digital if you are not working with others. And so I think that just due to kind of what's been going on the last couple of years, um, I think more than ever, I I have to say, I think Marketing Vanguard as a platform to to connect and bring um, C-suite leaders together with, you know, uh, middle to senior level managers is brilliant because they're not getting that, um, at least as the way I'm experiencing it right now. I, I don't think they're getting enough of it. We will be right back with more Marketing Vanguard after this quick break. Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome code-dependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Experience a CMS where you can build dynamic content without code. Native localization that lets you translate your site in one click to reach global audiences. And third-party apps and integrations so you can build faster. 
Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Um, okay, great. So Jessica, um, where do you find your inspiration that informs your work? A lot of the times I talk to CMOs and I ask them just point blank, what do you need more of? And surprisingly, most of them say inspiration. <laughs> what do I need more of? Um, I, I do need, I mean, I would like more inspiration. I, I'm looking for inspiration everywhere. Thus, I think I'm have been super into gardening. I am fascinated by colors and kind of the richness. Um, and this sounds really silly, but um, it is very difficult to find inspiration in a world that is moving very, 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 very fast. And yeah, ideas, that's so true. And ideas just become kind of like, you know, okay, I've been there, done that. So I've really spent a lot of time just like living in the slowdown um, because I think when things are this chaotic, it is important to find the quiet, if that makes any sense. You know, just uh, it, find. It totally, totally makes sense. In fact, um, it's interesting you say this. I um, I was thinking, I was recently at Can Lions, and, um, you know, I, I was struck by the fact that we, and similar to what you're saying about noise and speed versus quiet, because I feel like there's going to be this, you know, I just, you feel it all around you. People are craving quiet and quiet mm -hmm. moments in a time of such, you know, such chaos. But also I feel like we're, we're as marketers, especially we're working so hard to control everything, you yes. know, every last thing and, and so much talk these days is around um, generative AI, you know, and sort of, you know, if you start to, at every turn, we're trying to wrestle out um, any serendipity mm -hmm. of, any, of, <laughs> of anything. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it starts to, and it's interesting that we were just talking about um, sports and soccer. And, and frankly, um, I heard Alexis Ohanian reference this re not too long ago, where sports is one of the last areas of of surprise and wonder and excitement and unpredictability which yeah. is so refreshing at a time <laughs> of so much control because we're losing 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 the opportunity to be surprised and 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 see the unexpected i totally agree with you i mean i think that you know extends out to just like the this you know Gen Z who are you know they are truly digital natives and watching them kind of just in their dating lives and how there isn't the serendipity that perhaps, you know, a Gen X or a boomer grew up with and maybe upper and millennials, just, just looking at that. And it is so important, I think, as we see everything moving so fast that I actually think the marketing principle that we should be really paying more attention to is the slowdown. Mm. I love that. I love that. I think that would be the title of this this conversation, by the way. So I think we have our soundbite for that. <laughs> um, but I just referenced it a minute ago. You know, getting back to unfortunately the reality, but the reality of of marketing. You know, it is about quantification. And it's all about sort of the numbers and sort of what are the metrics 
um, that matter to you, to your CFO and to the marketing team and to the board and sort of in that, in that Venn diagram, where do they connect? You know, I loved the talk you had with Anne Mukherjee and Pam Forbes because Mm -hmm. Anne is, I feel she's very artistic by nature. Um, and Pam is very literal Mm -hmm. and very numbers driven. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that in my, like, I come from more the art versus the science part of marketing. Mm -hmm. And yet I understand the science part. I get, you know, everything is very data driven, but it gets to a point where, um, you know, you can't, first of all, like great marketing campaigns don't happen overnight. And they don't happen, you know, sometimes they take, you know, months to really take a foothold. And so I feel that the the immediacy of data um, doesn't tell the story. It doesn't tell the real story. And those who are interpreting the information, the scientists who are giving their best guess and are using benchmarks that are scientific and not artistic, um, they sometimes um, fight with one another. I agree. And so when you have a partnership like with Anne and Pam and a trust between each other, that's like to me the holy grail mm-hmm. of the art and science of marketing. I don't mm-hmm. believe marketing can exist without the science, but it can't exist without the art. Mm-hmm. I the completely agree. That said, who do you best collaborate with? You know, in the C-suite, let's start within the C-suite and then we can go from there. I would say my the, my number one collaborator, collaborator is my president. Um, her name is Terry Wheatley and she is just a renaissance woman. Um, she started at Gallo um, in the ni- early 1970s and as a secretary. She is the first female uh, um uh, president of a company that uh, is, is publicly traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, she literally started, um, like, as she explains it, it was Mad Men. <laughs> it was yeah. Mad Men in the 70s at Gallo and um, has grown up in the industry and has really just um, has been such an, a brand innovator. She's on the sales side and wholesale but I mean, she is a true brand marketer and she, she is definitely more on the artistic side. And so um, I spent a lot of time doing the quantification, but we riffed together um, in creating and it's, just, it's such an honor to work with her. I, I feel very lucky. So what I love about what you were just saying about her is that she grew up in the industry. And I also think this is another dynamic that we that we need to maintain, meaning I love it when, you know, you and I were just talking about how we go back so far in this industry and just have that context. And and so it's sort of like that inner uh, interplay between people who have sort of grown up and know, because I think knowing history and knowing context is just so important. Yeah. Like you have to know where we're going to really know where we came from. In order to know where we're going, you have to know where we came yeah. from. And yet we need new thinkers, fresh thinkers, you know, sort of um, people coming from different backgrounds and and mm-hmm. and people who can see things differently in organizations and especially in organizations that are um, leading marketing and defining and building brands. So 
I, you know, I just feel like that's a really, and it's, it's always hard to maintain those balances, but they just seem so critical. And I think well, we have to be very intentional about them. It's so hard. It's, it's, we do have to be super intentional. The challenge I find in big companies is that the marketing role is, you know, there's always this conflating around, um, uh, I would say like the, the value or the lack of value when it comes to the contribution of marketing mm-hmm. and, and, or, you know, you're always like, basically the way I look at it is in marketing, we're rewarded for selling more. Mm-hmm. In operations, you're rewarded for better efficiencies. Mm. Better efficiencies don't necessarily support marketing goals mm-hmm. in, in, the short, in the short term. Like, so a, a very um, specific example, um, as a marketer experience-wise in e-commerce, you want the last mile is your biggest challenge. You want that shipment to arrive to the customer in time in a way that is a reflection of how they feel about the brand, right? So quick. The operations team is like, I don't want to spend this much money on trying to achieve mm. this last mile moment because it doesn't really matter to me because, you know, it's costing me more to have more people or, you know, have more systems, et cetera. And so there's this like brewing battle that happens between operations and marketing about accomplishing, you know, value for not only um, the customer, but like, what is, what is the company value? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is important to the company? And so that, that's a whole nother can of worms, but it's, it's, it's something that I, I think is really important for us to begin really processing. Well, let's talk again about wine, because I mean, that's such a different category product space. And I mentioned earlier, it had so many, so many human elements, at least from my vantage point as a consumer, how does marketing fit in, you know, and what power can marketing have um, for that category of product? Yeah, but specifically to, to, to wine, you know what I mean? And I mean, I, I actually think that so, so marketing in the wine industry in general has been very opaque and and challenging to follow. Mm -hmm. That is really a result of 50 different countries with 50 different laws, Mm. not necessarily from the lack of innovation within the industry. Mm -hmm. What has been the great equalizer is digital, digital delivery of information. You can now, and I I don't know, Jenny, if like you grew up in a home where, you know, your parents were drinking wine, but I'm just going to throw an example out there. Um, They were drinking, let's say, Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, right? They were drinking Lancers. (laughs) I'll take it back even further. Yeah. Lancers and and Gallo was very, very big. And and they were like, you know, they would go back to the grocery store and maybe they would find it all the time, but maybe one time they went back and they didn't find it and they had nobody to talk to. Mm -hmm. Like, and like, that's it. That's that. They had nowhere to advocate for like their interest, their desire, their relationship with the brand. Mm-hmm. And what digital did is really kind of reveal like the wizard behind, you know, the wizard behind the, what I like behind the shades or behind the curtains, because most people, they're, they're most Americans, 
relationship with wine is a very transaction-based relationship. When we think about it, it's a very experience-driven relationship. That is changing. And digital has made that possible because you are able to tell the story. Mm. On the physical shelf, it is very difficult to tell the story when you have a thousand bottles in front of you. And I know you're in New York and you go to the small boutiques, you know, wine stores, and it's like you can barely make your way through. Or in New Jersey, it's a little bit bigger, but it's, it's, it is very difficult to find wine that you might enjoy without somebody inside the store um, telling you what you might enjoy. It's so interesting because you're you're talking about digital as being a storytelling mechanism as much as or if not more than being a transaction or a sales mechanism. Yes. Which is which is so key. That is so. I mean, I think that's kind of what my attraction was to it because I mean I was telling stories from the beginning of my marketing career. And there is no for the wine industry, there is no more profound way to really connect with a customer, um, because you can tell your whole story. And those stories are, wine is complicated to make. It's not simple. It's just, it isn't soda. It isn't, you know, infused water. It's, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's complicated and a lot of things happen and, you know, from vintage to to vintage things change. Um, and so I think the, the internet has really created an opportunity to, to really build these important connections that customers haven't had. Um, at Marketing Vanguard, you know, we, we one of the questions I, I pose to everyone is, um, you know, understanding that the literal definition of Vanguard is a group of people leading the way mm-hmm. in new developments or ideas. What's an example of a new development or idea that you have had or made that you mm-hmm. feel has um, led the way for your company or for the industry? I mean, uh, for me, it's really been looking at um, ways, you know, again, going back to digital technologies that bring um, the excitement of a brand that is felt offline, online. And uh, one particular product that I really have loved and um, I know is getting much bigger, but we started with them when they were quite small, is called Podium. And Podium was really used for, at the time, for furniture stores, for people to write feedback about their experience in the furniture store. And you're like, what does that have to do with a tasting room? Like, why would that be interesting? Well, the more reviews that you posted back then, especially because they um, integrated with Google and with TripAdvisor, the the like the faster you would grow into their algorithm and so all of our tasting rooms began to focus on customers who had great experiences and said hey can you just like write something for us and i'm going to text it to you <laughs> very simple it changed it changed not it changed the way it changed traffic customer traffic um and went from it went, I, I think it went up. I mean, it almost doubled in three years. Um, it also, during the pandemic, provided connection for associates to customers because they had their mobile numbers and the ability to to 
to still generate an income. Um, and also from an advertising standpoint, because you have all these reviews and you're higher in the algorithm, the cost of advertising is much lower. So, I mean, three major things happened and it was transformative for, for mm. the business. I love that. I love that. Um, kudos to you for that. Um, the last quick question really is um, who's next? You know, um, who is next in the industry or somebody you admire from afar or somebody whose work you've seen and wanted to know more about that you would recommend we interview for I, our okay. podcast? So there, I've thought about this because I love <laughs> listening to your podcast. Um, there are two individuals that um, I wish I knew better, but I every time I hear them, and I've I've met them. Uh, I'm 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 just wowed by them. Um, so Malika Montero, she is the EVP Chief Growth Strategy and Digital Officer at Constellation. Mm, cool. I think she's like kind of brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, she, listen, Constellation is a huge company, and she is so extremely articulate and so scientific but has the artistic touch and um i i just i love listening to her speak and um she's also a really great person and the other person who i would love for you to have is john shay he's the cmo at mark anthony brands and i really think they need to tell their story um because i've heard their story from the ceo um who's awesome um, but I want to hear it from the CMO. And um, I mean, the phenomena of White Claw is something that we should be talking about and kind of what it is, how, how it is, what, how they are doing what they're doing. And then they have some other insane brands um, that are just, just killing it. You know, Mark's Hard, Mike's Hard Lemonade and um, Cayman Jack. I mean, they are killing it. Hundred percent, and I love that. And I haven't, I haven't connected with John Shea in too long, so that will be a, a perfect opportunity to do so. Yeah. Um, and Malika, I look forward to connecting with. So, um, thank you, Jessica. Most of all, I'm happy to have connected with you because I've learned so much. It's been wonderful getting to know you, and also um, getting to know your journey to this to this point, and also sort of your, you know, your super unique views on on um, what marketing needs to be, but also obviously how we need to rethink digital uh, in truly meaningful ways. So, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. And I love meeting people who've been in the war zone of digital from the <laughs> late 90s. You're, you're, we didn't call you're it digital then. We called it interactive, <laughs> um, which is we crazy in and of itself. But um, let's meet next and have a glass of wine. Love to. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.